The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The the way the night is structured is um, kind of this orienting, um, a very brief little settling sit, and then I'll talk about kind of the main uh, Dharma teaching related to uh, establishing practice tonight, which I'll tell you what that is in just a second. And then we'll move from there um, into Kirsten doing a little talk um, on kind of taking the wisdom teaching and how to apply it. And then um, after that, we have small group breakout discussions. So probably that would be a good place to build in a little break. Otherwise, um, just go to the bathroom if you need to go to the bathroom. Get water if you need to get water. Yeah. So there's no, um, since it's an hour and a half, I didn't structure in a break. If we need one, just let me know, and I can revise the schedule for the next week, okay? So your feedback will be taken. So any feedback you guys have, I would be happy to receive. Um, after the breakout groups, we'll do a guided meditation, um, connecting to the, the kind of wisdom and practices that we're sharing um, and that will be followed by some open question and answer period, um, a brief settling sit, and then some final reflections and an ending for the night. So in terms of content, um, we have four weeks of content. The content tonight is um, focusing on wise understanding and wise intention. Next week, it's on establishing mindfulness on and off of the cushion. Week three is um, establishing actions that support joy. And week four is sustaining our practice with wise effort. So um, I have a couple of questions I want to get a feel for you all in your practice. So who here has studied the Eightfold Path? Okay. Okay. So some, half people and half not, Kirsten. So, um, okay. And um, I would love it if you wouldn't mind, and Richard can bring you a microphone so we can record, if you could tell me why you're here, like what it is that brought you here, what it is you're hoping you'll get from coming, so that we make sure we, we address those things. Yeah. So could you uh, see, if you don't mind, we'll just pass it to each person. And if you really don't want to say anything, you can just pass it on. But I, this way, it'll give you each an invitation. <laughs> Hi, Tanya. Um, I'm here because you're teaching and also to find out more about how I can deepen my meditations. So, Kirsten, could you hear her? So she's here because I'm teaching and because she wants to kind of learn more about how to deepen her meditation. Okay. Anything else, Mitra? No, that's it. Thank you. I have been... um Participating in the morning uh, meditation with Gil over the past 
from the start of the pandemic. Wow. And uh, it's been great. Uh, but before, I'd come to this center a couple of times, and I think in person is probably a tiny bit better. I didn't hear the last words. Richard, in can person, I think it's a tiny bit better. Ah, a tiny bit better. So I'm going to try it this way. Okay. Richard, can you turn the mic volume up? And so um, another invitation is to say your name, if you're comfortable. Um, and then I'll repeat what you said, Ben. My name is Ben. Thank you, Ben. So Ben just said that um, he's been doing the morning meditation since the pandemic. And um, he had come to IMC a few times in the past, and he thinks it's a tiny bit better to be in person, which is why he's here tonight. Thank you, Ben. Did I get it all? Can I get it right? Okay. All right. <laughs> you can't see smiles underneath the mask, but um, I'm happy to be here. My name is David, and um, uh, I came to this to a, a, an introductory series that Gil taught probably five years ago here. Uh, it's been quite a while, um, but I always had very positive memories of that series, and um, the way that I felt leaving the building when I mm. uh, afterwards, and I just decided that it was something that I wanted to try to experience again and maybe see if I can pick up and do more regularly uh, on my own without necessarily having to be physically here. So, okay, yeah, it's just okay. a spark again, trying to start a practice. Beautiful. So um, this is David, and David um, did Gill's intro series in the past. Um, and was inspired to come back and see if he could light a light, a light spark something in him to support his practice, um, right? Okay. Are you hearing any better, Kirsten, now that the mic was turned up a little? Do I need to keep repeating? Yeah, it's, I am hearing it better. Thank you. Okay, okay. So I won't repeat then unless you ask me to. Great. Okay. Hello, I'm Richa. Uh, this is my first time at IMC. And um, I've been meditating uh, on and off for, on my own for some time, and also with a few teachers. But uh, I wanted to establish a more um, consistent practice uh, with the, like some long-term uh, changes, because I've been finding myself in the same repetitive um, suffering type of habits uh, on my own and also with some relationships. So that's why I wanted to kind of have a more advanced practice. That's, that's what brought me here today. Beautiful. Is that okay, Kirsten? Could you hear her? Yeah. I yeah. couldn't hear that, actually. She wouldn't mind. Yeah, so Rija, right? Yeah. Um, she's been practicing for a while, and um, she's noticing repetitive patterns of suffering in relationship and in, on the cushion, and she would like to get some maybe new ideas and practices to support um, shifting or deepening her practice. Is that a fair summary? Okay. Thank you. So. Hi there. I'm Sage. Um, I would say I'm here, um, first of all, because it's really easy to let your practice become a matter of going through the motions. So I want to try and like revitalize it and like come up with some, some things that could help. Um, and the other reason is just to uh, be in community and build Sangha here. But, yeah. Thank you, Sage. So Sage is here for Sangha community, and it's easy to 
um, it's kind of easy to maybe fall asleep is the word I'll, I'll use. <laughs> and I see your head. Okay. Kind of fall asleep with practice. So trying to keep, keep myself awake. Okay. All right. Uh, hi, my name is Kevin. I'm here to um, yeah, learn more about establishing a practice from the Dharma perspective. Um, I mean, it's very clear to me that the practice is um, probably the highest priority in my life, but uh, my actions don't quite reflect that. Mm. And um, uh, one thing that's interesting is I spend a lot of time thinking about my practice instead of sitting, uh, sitting and doing it. Um, so, yes. Thank you. Oh, that was great. How did you do with that one, Kirsten? You hear that one? Yeah, that was great. Great. Thanks. Okay. Hi, good evening. I'm Ann Rose. Sorry, I'm late. Um, I just completed the medi- the beginner's meditation course with Koto and Tanya, and I, I just want to continue to deepen my meditation as, you know, the last class they had recommended 30 minutes, and I'm back to just doing the 10-minute sittings in the evenings, but also in the mornings. But I want to do the the half or at least 20 minutes and staying alert and not drifting off into sleep and, and all those things. So, yes, very grateful to be here. Thank you, Anne Rose. So she just finished the intro series, and um, she noticed already she kind of had slipped back in how much she's sitting, and so she just wants to keep her momentum going and stay awake and she has a goal of doing at least 20 minutes of practice a week practice okay all right great beautiful beautiful okay so let's just do a settling sit let's just it'll help me settle too um just finding your body here and then um I'm going to turn it over to Kirsten uh, for some guidance. Is that okay, or Kirsten, would you like me to do it? What would be better for you? Oh, I'm happy to. Great. Just for a few moments. After all the technological um, preparations, just take some time to come into the body. Maybe closing the eyes and... Allowing the mind to soften. Sometimes taking some deeper breaths allows us to arrive more fully. I'm just noticing if there was any momentum that you brought in here with you and Allowing that to settle and move through the body into the earth, allowing yourselves, ourselves, to be supported.
And allowing the eyes to open if they've been closed and coming into presence with those of us in the room. Continuing to stay connected with presence, with your bodies, with what it is to surrender here to this moment. And turning it over to Tanya to begin. Mitra, can you see Kirsten on that screen? Okay. Thank you, Kirsten. Yeah. Did you say something to me? Thank you. Oh. Thank you. All right. So, um, just to give you a a framework, I guess, um, wise intentions, wise view, that's kind of the wisdom teaching that we want to cover tonight. These are the two first Um, steps on the Eightfold Path. And it's a little bit like if you're going to go somewhere, you need to know where it is on a map, right? So you orient north or south or east or west. You're oriented in the right direction. And that's, that's the purpose of understanding and operating from wise view and wise intention. And it is not just a looking at, it's not just seeing, but it is an enacting. An Somebody said, you would think a lot more about practice than you practice. So that's the other part, knowing where we want to go, but actually getting in the vehicle and going there. So that's the purpose. It's sort of like an orienting. Um, it's a, a grounding. It's a getting clear about... Um, kind of how we want to approach this practice. So the very first part of wise understanding, which has two components to it, the first component is the Four Noble Truths. And the Four Noble Truths are there is, the classic way you'll hear it, is there suffering. There's the cause of suffering, which is the second Noble Truth. There's the end of suffering, right, which is the third noble truth. And then there's the way to end all suffering, which is the fourth noble truth, which is also the eightfold path. So my analogy for these four truths is that um, really uh, it's like a compass. The four noble truths is like a compass, to help us find our way. And my theory, my applied understanding of this dharma is that I relate to dukkha, to suffering, which is a huge continuum of experience from super subtle, like not quite right, to out and out pain and suffering, okay? So they, we, this term is used, suffering. It was a translation at some point from Pali, the Pali word dukkha. Um, and it's sort of over-coupled now, this suffering word. 
But we need to hold that with this, like, big expanse. It's that feeling that, uh, you know, it can be so subtle. Ah, uh, doesn't feel quite right. It's the pen you're writing with sometimes doesn't feel quite right. It's the room you're walking in where you're sitting doesn't feel quite right. It's the, um, what I just said isn't landing quite right. Right? And two, I'm really hurting because a horrible thing has happened with work or relationship, right? The, just the heartbreak, the grief of loss, of death, of suffering, right? So it's this huge continuum. But based on, you know, what I'm talking about, it can all be felt in the body. It can all be experienced. And we all are going to experience it differently. So this is, again, that applied, applied learning, applied engaged practice of noticing, tuning in, and caring, and wanting to notice when things don't feel quite right. Right? So you might think about this as like um, the suffering, right, um, on the compass when, when we start to suffer, it's like the compass needle is pointing to a big red sign that says, stop, don't go this way, more suffering ahead. Does that make sense? And sometimes, you know, the suffering's so subtle, we ignore it. And sometimes the suffering's so big, we, we can't. But, um, but this in itself is a very specific way of relating to the idea and the experience of of suffering or dukkha. So what this does is, for me, makes me want to notice suffering. Instead of suffering being a bad thing, I have interpreted it now as a feedback system that is there to help me find my way toward freedom. So this is the first noble truth. And it's a um, kind of probably the biggest one that we are struggling with most of the time. And then the second noble truth is understanding the cause of the suffering, which is generally said to be clinging. And you can just think about this as not wanting things to be the way they are, wanting more of it, less of it, different of it, Right? Just, there's just this way in which we're, um, the way I think our brains are wired, we have this innate tendency toward wanting things to be better, different, more, last longer, the pleasant longer, the unpleasant go away right away. And so what happens is that when we have unpleasant experiences, we often clamp down and be like, we're adding suffering to the already existing suffering by resisting it and wanting to get rid of it. Okay? Tracking me? Making sense? Okay. The third noble truth is when that suffering lets go. When we stop wanting things to be different than the way they are. When we're okay and we're not clinging anymore to something to be trying to make it change or not change. And then um, the fourth is 
the way to the end of all suffering. And that's walking and living and engaging with the Noble Eightfold Path. So this is the first half of wise understanding is these Four Noble Truths. The second half of wise understanding is understanding the conditioned nature of experience. So the simplest way to explain this is you know how, do you remember how hard it was to learn how to tie your shoes when you were a kid? It was complicated, hard, we had to try over and over again. It's not hard anymore, is it? Because we've conditioned our mind and hands and body, our muscle memory, to know how to tie a shoe. So it becomes automatic. So conditioning is incredibly important, actually. Because we couldn't function if we had to take the amount of effort it takes to learn something new. If we had to do that all the time, it would be impossible to live the kind of lives we do. The trouble is, is that we get conditioned in all kinds of ways that we're not choosing as well. We get conditioned starting from the beginning, from birth. From We have preconditionings based on our biology, our family, our society, our, our first grade teacher. All of these things start to con- create conditioning, habits, patterns. And those things condition and become automatic ways of responding. So you talked about always finding yourself in the same loops of suffering. And it comes out of this conditioning, this patterning. So it becomes incredibly important to understand this is nature, right? It's nature. It's natural. It's not evil. It's a problem when we don't get involved. It's a problem when we don't make choice. Thank you, that's much better. Because then the automatic part, the conditioning, the habitual stuff, is what's making choices for us. That's when we're living a very reactive life instead of a choiceful life. All right? Any questions about that? Okay. All right. So cultivating mindfulness, right, the practice helps us start to notice these things. It helps us create and build pauses so we build choice. And in that choice, we begin that process of reconditioning, of choosing, of how we want to meet the next unfolding. Most of the time, insight into our patterns doesn't mean that the patterns just change. The easiest place to start to change is when we notice the pattern is arising. We start to respond to the pattern differently. So this is where also that idea of seeing suffering as good news is helpful. Because when we start to find ourselves falling into a a pattern, a loop, where we're doing something that is upsetting, we don't like it, and we see it, Can we then say, I see it, I see it, and I now have the opportunity to do something different here, even if it's just to witness it different, to bring compassion to it, to stop in the middle of it, to go back later, right? There's, you following me? Okay. All right. So that is essentially, those two components are wise view. That's like... 
If you're standing on the top of a mountain and you want to see the ocean and you're in the Bay Area, you need to face west. If you face east, you will not see the ocean, right? Even though you're on the same mountain, we've got to face the right direction. So we have to orient in these ways if we want to to start to see these things in this way. Does that make sense? Okay. So from wise view comes wise intention. Wise intention includes three main things. It's the intention to not cause harm to ourselves, to others, or either, both. So that's often, um, like, yeah, just the goal is not to cause harm. This is part of the Buddhist teaching. The second is to be friendly, often taught as loving-kindness practice, but to be friendly with others. The third is the practice of renunciation or letting go or alternatively letting be. So these are the three wise intentions that follow from wise view. So if we think about, oh, there's a pattern. I'm, I'm repeating my patterning. I see it. Oh, good for me. I see it. I have an opportunity. Okay. All right. Number one, okay, I don't want to cause harm. Okay, so let's just at least not make it worse, right? I don't want to cause harm. Number two, how can I be kind to myself, to the other people in this situation? Number three, what can I let go of? What can I let go of? How can I let things be the way they are and not be fighting them in a way that's causing harm or unkind? So that is the wisdom factors that we wanted to cover. And now, Kirsten, if you're ready, we'll talk about some practical ways to engage with these. Great. Thank you. Yeah, well, I do have some um, suggestions, and I'll, I'll share those. And then if there is time, I would love to actually hear if any of you have additional ones based on your practice and experience. Um, there's quite a bit of experience in the room. Um, but, you know, the first, and Tanya really spoke to this, and just to underscore it, to reiterate it, you know, when we, we really recognize um, that when we orient around the first noble truth, when we see and notice suffering or dukkha, it can be this beautiful invitation we can actually recognize it in the moment and stop and explore it. And that is a choice point. So really being open to and welcoming, um, noticing the presence or the absence of suffering can be incredibly helpful. And likewise, learning to recognize also when we're clinging, you know, when we're attached to something, when we want something to be different than the way it is. This is the cause of dukkha, the cause of suffering. And sometimes um, I'll even practice in a seated meditation, I'll even ask, drop in the question, like a seed question. Does anything want to be different right now? Does anything want to be different right now? 
Because oftentimes, like even in these subtle, subtle ways, there can be a sort of leaning towards or a pushing away. It can be so, so subtle. And to recognize, again, not necessarily needing to go right out and change it, because if we want to modify it, then we're adding more um, aversion or clinging to the situation, but just noticing and noticing the suffering in that noticing the level of stress that it causes in the body, the the subtle wanting or the really gross wanting of things to be different than the way they are. So really noticing suffering, noticing clinging, this is the second noble truth, and then really enjoying and savoring the end of suffering. So when that that clinging, that leaning is gone, when we're in the peace of the moment, exactly as it is, and there's no desire for things to be otherwise, that is a moment of real um, joy. It can be contentment, um, ease. Uh, there's all sorts of different ways that that can kind of show up. It doesn't necessarily need to be a bliss state, but even just a subtle contentment. Um, and to really lean into that. To really appreciate that because the more that we really recognize and lean in and enjoy and savor that, the more our whole system starts to recognize the real health and, um, and, uh, and release of that kind of way of being. So those, those orientations around the Four Noble Truths, the stopping our, and noticing suffering, recognizing when we're wanting things to be different, enjoying that when the suffering is actually gone, when there's that contentment, and then orienting towards the fourth noble truth, which is this noble eightfold path, which is walking this path toward freedom. And really the way I sometimes consider that is having this intention for freedom. And I heard that in so many of your shares, you know, of why you're here is this is, is, a, is a really wholesome desire to be free of these ways in which we're habitually caught by our conditioning and wanting things to be different in this push and pull of, um, of our experience and the kind of simple, simple uh, beauty of being free in this moment where it doesn't need to be any different. Uh, so really orienting around that intention and walking that path. So a couple of things also that can be supportive um, in really establishing the practice. Uh, And again, this might be very familiar for many of you, but when we're meditating, when we're practicing seated meditation or standing or lying down, you know, the posture is not as important as the practice itself of coming into presence. Um, And an anchor can be really helpful for bringing us into presence, for stabilizing awareness. Um, So that can be the breath. It could be sound. um, It can be the feeling of the body on a chair or on the earth. But coming back to that when the mind wanders. And starting where it's easiest. So if sounds are easier, you know, if that feels... um, like a more suitable anchor for you, really trusting that, really trusting that. Um, Oftentimes, like for me, for example, the breath 
was never a suitable anchor, and yet it was the one that was consistently offered as the grounding practice for seated meditation. And so I struggled with it for years and years until I realized that I could choose something else. So, you know, it's not... It, it doesn't make us better meditators to struggle with an anchor that's not suitable for us. It's really beneficial to start where it's simple, start where it's easeful. And likewise, meditation can happen in standing, sitting, walking, lying down. So integrating mindfulness into our lives in general, you know, can kind of start to blur these divisions too between a formal practice and our life. and. Really, we practice for our lives to be embodied in these lives as they are, to be living life as it wants to move through us and not um, resisting so much of what our experience is. And the last thing I'll say is that thoughts um, can often be seen as a hindrance on this path. And yet, what is a real wise relationship with our thoughts? I mean, the mind thinks just like the eyes see. And so our relationship to a wandering mind can be one that is a kind attention. It's like um, the, the analogy so many times of, of you know the puppy, like bringing the puppy back if the puppy runs away. Um, and we're not uh, expecting the puppy to not run away. It's natural for the puppy to wander. And so we're kind of the guardian of the mind. And bringing that gentle and kind awareness is really, really important um, for our relationship with everything, but including thoughts and the, the wandering mind. Um, again, there can be these expectations that we're not doing it right if mind is wandering and there's a lot of thinking mind, but that's the mind doing what it does. So just I'll just repeat those a little um, briefly again, but um, practicing with the Four Noble Truths, so stopping for uh, suffering, recognizing clinging, enjoying the end of suffering, and walking this path of freedom. And then the supportive actions of an anchor, starting where it's um, easeful, remembering that meditation can happen in any posture and during any activity, and then really cultivating a, a kind and wise relationship with our thoughts. Um, does anyone have anything that they want to add to that for this little sangha? No? Okay. All right, then. Um, I think we are on to... Um, onto the small group discussion. Oh, which I'm also leading. Whoops, great. So we're going to put you into some small groups and I can't see exactly how many people are in the room. I, I know I missed a couple of, of people. I, I heard their voices, but maybe Tanya can help with that. Yeah. And, um, and what we'll do is um, have have a small a small discussion about some of what's come up here. And the prompt for this discussion will be, you know, what is your relationship with dukkha, with suffering? Like what, what when do you see it? How does it feel in your body when you notice it? 
Um, how has your practice, for example, influenced your relationship with Dukkha? Um, what is coming up for you with respect to Dukkha based on what Tanya and I have shared? So, um, you know, what is, what is it that you, you know, you understand and um, experience with suffering? And um, so this is a, a simple but very deep question. And the way that will um, orient the discussion is a kind of spiral practice. So we'll have, um, I think maybe, well, Tanya, you, since you can see more than, than I can, I would say three to four people in a group. We have, um, we have, um, that, yeah, we have eight people. Um, and then if Richard or Jim joined, so we could, we could do um, two, three groups of three or two, two groups of four, probably. Okay, great. Well, I'll, I'll let you make the call since you can kind of see the geometry better than I can. But, um, okay, let, but me, the let me just... the spiral itself is uh, oh. that one person will start with that prompt and just say one thing that comes up with them with respect to the prompt. So, you know, you could share so many things based on, on this um, on this prompt around dukkha, around suffering, and yet just keep it simple to one thing and then the next person can share and then um, the next person and you might end up and then we'll go the, the spiral will go around again so you'll have multiple times to share and it also makes it more like a discussion or like an iterative experience because what someone else might share might elicit something else that you would be interested in bringing to light in this conversation so to really allow yourself to be um, surprised to maybe learn something new about yourself and your relationship to suffering based on what other people have shared. Um, that's one of the gifts of the spiral is that sometimes we can already have our list of things that we know we want to share with the group, but other things might be unearthed if we hear other people speak and then have more opportunities to speak in the group. So really allow yourself to uh, be curious and, and learn more about about yourself in this process. Um, I know we're a little bit behind schedule, Tanya. So what do you think? Do you want to shorten the group discussion or do you want to shorten the meditation? Yeah, maybe both. Maybe we'll balance it out. Uh, Dukkha. Okay. Anne-Marie? Um, um. Rose, sorry. <laughs> um, no, I. What every, everyone just said, I totally just I can echo with that. Like, I was just telling my group, I this practice has allowed me to see the beauty in my suffering. But then, in so doing, I just find myself wanting to, you know, move through it. But that's the clingingness. Get like, let me get over it now. But I, okay. And that's not resisting. Well, so there's good news and bad news here, right? Which is that, Anne Rose, you're saying you, you started, you've seen yourself change your relationship to seeing your suffering and being like, oh, good, I'm seeing. And now you notice a new form of suffering which is coming up, which is impatience and thinking you should already be over. But that's just another thing to notice. Now you can notice that and go, oh, good, I'm seeing I'm being impatient. So we, it's this constant layering, right? It's very, 
tricky these little minds of ours so does that is that helpful is that clear yes and i remember on sunday or the sunday talk that you led on buddhist te- the the eightfold path yeah just doing less and i you you i don't know i tanya i don't know how you identify you just like totally got my problems in life i just do too much <laughs> and i could just pull back but then i think in, in just my approach to everything and the intent behind it yeah and it's just so just rewiring everything but being okay with it too great great Anne rose great so that is that is such a great example so Anne rose is talking about her conditioning of doing more do more do more do more do more a lot of effort and and you're seeing that behind everything you know or most everything in your life and um you know, it, that's how conditioning works. It grows, it spreads. When we aren't paying attention, we're doing it. We do it more. It grows and it grows and it grows. So, you know, okay. So this is when we found out. Okay, but now, you know, you're, you're really connected to how that's not working so well for you. And it's going to be a process, maybe slow, maybe fast in some ways. But it's beautiful, and now you just the impatience is probably part of the the little engine that keeps it driving. <laughs> so it's just another layer of like, oh, there's that too. Okay, okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. And so, as can I just chime in? Um, personally, I mean that can also really help. You know, rather than making it so much about me that. I'm suffering again or getting caught again or my conditioning. But to really be able to have that perspective of it's happening, but, you know, this isn't me or mine. I, we don't have to take it personally. That can also give a bit more lightness to, to really noticing and working with dukkha. Beautiful, yeah. And, you know, it's not my fault. I, I like that one too, right? It's not my fault. I didn't choose myself. I didn't set myself up on purpose to become who I am today. This all started happening a long time ago before I had any choice about most of this. My beliefs, my practices, my way of being, my habits, you know. So we now it becomes our responsibility as we start to wake up. It becomes our responsibility. But we have that ability to respond now because we see. So not, it's not who I am. It's what, it's what we all deal with. We all just have different conditioning. It's, you know, we all have different little habits that make us a little nutty. <laughs> a lot nutty. <laughs> okay. So um, can I just do a check-in with you all? Um, does it feel like a good time to shift or are there a few more things that want to be shared shift shift okay Um, so let's do just I'm just going to do a fairly short practice let me um, well let me ask you hands up if I'll give you two choices choice one is um Short meditation, another short Q&A. Or longer meditation, very brief Q&A. So option A, 
short meditation, short Q&A. So who wants that one? Raise your hand. Short meditation, short Q&A. Who wants longer meditation? And okay, that's the winner. All right. Okay. So I'm just going to do kind of a, a, a guided practice here. Just an ima- we're going to use our imaginations. And so I'm going to invite you to bring up a small, S-M-A-L-L, example, pattern. You know where you, you suffer. You get caught in suffering. Do not make this a big one because you will get caught. <laughs> So the idea is to do something that you can kind of imagine meeting it, meeting it in a different way. So just finding a moment to bring something to mind. Maybe imagine that you've got your hands or a nest, open palms, and you can invite this little, the small area where you suffer to rest in your hands. So it's not who you are, it's not inside of you, but you can see it and it can rest. And just take a moment, imagine like if it's a nest, it's gonna take a little nap while you breathe. Just letting it be there while you find your body, find your anchor, whatever that is. So the sensations, the sounds, Just anchoring, settling. If your anchor is a breath, it's like three-breath journey, you know. Really following, feeling the flow of the exhale followed by the inhale. Just letting yourself rest and knowing your anchor for a minute. you'd like repeat some of the phrases I offer here it's just may I be at ease with this practice may I remember I'm just imagining and I'm rehearsing may I be kind to myself of you in whatever way that is for you in your mind this little small way that you tend to suffer so just sort of imagine a little movie going of showing how this might play out letting it be on slow-mo moving slowly and track your body as you're watching the little slow-mo movie. 
And when you start to notice tension and stress in your body, imagine pushing pause on the little video screen. Just pausing, this idea of pausing for dukkha. When we start to notice the tension, the resistance, leaning in or away. And practice saying yes. Yes. Oh, yeah, I can feel this. I'm clinging, I'm holding on, I'm resisting. Yes. Yes. Okay, it's happening. Yes, dukkha is here. If it's not so easy to say yes to what it is, maybe you can say yes to this hurts. Yes, this hurts. Can I say yes to that? Can I say yes to knowing? Yes to the mind that can see. Can I say yes to that? Finding what you can say yes to in this and notice how that feels. Sayadaw Tejaniya says, every experience, whether good or bad, gives you a learning opportunity to notice whether the mind accepts things the way they are or whether it dislikes, reacts, or judges. So this is an opportunity. We're just getting to know these habits, the conditioning in the mind. I'm just taking another deep breath with this. And just seeing, you know, maybe drop in Kirsten's question. What, is there anything here I want different? And saying just yes to seeing that, letting it be seen, having its own little spot in the nest. And let it be. To let go does not mean to get rid of it. To let go means to let it be. Can we let it be with compassion? Can we let things come and go on their own? Just drop in this question. What would I have to hold in compassion to be at peace right now? What about this would I have to hold in compassion to be at peace right now? 
And just witness whatever response happens. Receive the answer in whatever way. It might be in the body, it might be a word, an image. Just receiving the response. And here's a second question. What would I have to let go of to be at peace right now? What would I have to let go of to be at peace right now? was that? What happened? Anything clear? You can say, Tanya, that sucked. It didn't help at all. It's okay. Just how was it for you? Anybody willing to share what that practice was like? Sure. Uh, my name is David, and um, I guess I felt uh, that you were inviting us to rehearse or to think through a situation that felt uncomfortable, or we we would anticipate, or we we have felt uncomfortable, and then to uh, imagine making a well to recognize the point in it where the discomfort came and to next time or to rehearse to, to that that uh, to not uh, avert yourself from that discomfort but just to know that it's there and to continue with the path that you uh, want to go on uh, how was it for you to imagine in that way um Well, um, I don't know. I think I felt a mix of um, one, it just being relaxing, uh, and then also uh, like a little bit um, kind of of shame or disappointment at the feeling of. uh, discomfort um, in the situation like yeah was the shame uh, or disappointment part of what you were practicing with or did that come up um, as you imagined trying to practice with it Uh, it came from thinking that um, 
the situation itself is benign, mm. but that I am bringing discomfort or suffering to it. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So you shot an extra arrow at yourself. I Would that be fair? Maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. So it sounds like you've got a situation that you're struggling with, and for your your conditioning is the way it is, and it's hard. And that as you were sitting back, maybe with a little more space and looking at it, there was something in you that witnessed. Maybe it doesn't have to be so big. But then this is where I'd say the second arrow or the extra suffering came in because then you kind of shamed yourself for not being okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Hopefully now it feels more free (laughs) if you can see it in the way that I just described it. Mm Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing and being willing to share what you did. Oh, you had your hand up. Aunt Rose. We'd like to hear from you. (laughs) I know I talk a lot, sorry. Um, No, we love it. I would say I really like the guided meditation where you asked us to think about what would what would happen like if we choose to you know let go and the one word that came to my mind was just expectations and to go back to what Kirsten was saying is taking things personally because I think that's also the root of my suffering too it's as someone once told me why do you get so butthurt so excuse my language but (laughs) it's like yeah I do over everything or and it doesn't have to I don't I can shift my perspective and oh. not have and that expectation that uh, aspect, just letting it go. But that's that was it. So thank you both. Wow. So Kirsten, um, she said the she thinks the root of her suffering is taking it all personally. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And then, uh, <laughs> um, oh gosh, I'm trying to repeat. And there was something else you said that. Oh, I just have to shift my perspective. She said. Right? Like, wow, hallelujah. <laughs> to have that realization. You know, it's not always so easy, but it is easy on the other hand, right? Beautiful, Anne Rose. Thank you. Yeah, great. Um, something I was working with during the first question of allowing um, kind of clicked after hearing people um, share, which is finding kind of the right viewing distance Ah, uh, from experience Um, in that uh, not getting too close, but also not getting too far. Uh, I feel too close means you're uh, a little bit too personal and emotionally involved, and too far is more like um, analytical thinking. Beautiful. Um, And... Um, yeah. So um, I, this idea of distance, I'll just sort of repeat for Kirsten to make sure she heard, but, you know, finding the right distance for um, looking at our suffering is important. So if it's too close, we're too identified, it's too much about all about me, I am, and it's merged. If it's too far away, it becomes very analytical and it's not... Um, we're not really dealing with the, the felt sense of it, maybe, because we're just doing it in the mind. Does that feel like a good summary of what you said? 
and that finding that right place for holding what we're working with is really helpful you know for being able to work with it and not getting overwhelmed and also not being kind of spiritual bypassing just thinking through it yeah all right kirsten do you want to um say anything at this point oh just so appreciating the the wisdom coming forth in the group i mean that distinction about too close and too far it's just beautiful and as you're speaking i'm i'm recognizing in my own self through my own practice how important it has been to um be close enough that there's compassion for the suffering that there's kindness around that that getting too far away is that can be uh, like like tanya you said that spiritual bypass right where we can kind of not actually engage with the feeling of it. And and for me, so much of the the unhinging, the unlocking has been really um, touching the feeling of it without, again, taking it personally. So, yeah, beautiful. Thank you. Um, hi, I'm Richa uh, again. So I um, actually... Uh, talked with the the group here a little bit about um, how we cause suffering and then we have this like denial about how we cause suffering because it kind of breaks our own self-image and then when you realize it then you have this like gushing feeling of uh, negative generally it's uh, either guilt or shame or whatever it is so I think that um, that's something that's definitely a challenge for me and that was also what I was thinking about during our uh, meditation um, is basically not to let that pressure keep building up but to constantly face the divide between um, my expected self-image let's say and then what reality actually is oh, and that's beautiful. being more compassionate say that again that was so beautiful say it really oh. clear so Kirsten say it. just okay. say it again it was great uh, yeah, okay, I think one of the things that I've been struggling with is, um, uh, r- you know, resolving this divide that we have between um, our self-image, our expectations, and then what uh, actually is happening in reality. And sometimes it's difficult to be compassionate with the people around us uh, when, when we face that divide uh, because it, it's painful to um, expect things to go a certain way and th- then it doesn't. Yeah, and at least with me, it's kind of come out in very innocuous, uh, almost like benign situations, right? Where it like really doesn't matter that. Uh, yeah. Uh, but then, because there is this pressure that keeps building up, and then suddenly it's like, boom, yeah. Wow. Great. What wisdom? What beautiful insights and reflections. We probably have time for one more. Does anybody else want to share something, Mitra? Oh, good. Mitra does. Mitra, right here, Richard. I tried to choose a small suffering, but I'm not sure how small it is. Um, louder, louder. But I noticed this how much I carry everyone else's mm-hmm. suffering and trying to fix everyone else's. Yeah, so you're noticing and how much you carry everyone else's suffering and try and fix everyone else's suffering. How's that working? It's hard. It's really hard. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I, I, 
It, it, does it work? No. We want it to work, but it doesn't work, right? Yeah. I mean, and maybe you're still struggling with that one a little bit. I'm struggling. It's my yeah. daughter, and you know, I, I have a problem distinguishing between myself and her. Yeah. Mix up. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this feels like a good moment to just sit. Let's just breathe with what we've heard, with what we shared, with um, the goodness that we connected to here and the suffering we connected to here. Welcoming it all in, maybe placing a hand on your heart. Just offering a sense of caring attention. You don't have to put your hand on your heart if you don't want to, right? Just, but this idea of a caring attention to our own experience. Yes to whatever it is. And I care. And I'm not alone. Maybe take a moment to just bring forth any one little thing that you would like to take away from your practice tonight. Just setting an intention to come back to this connection, experience, reflection, understanding, whatever it is. Just saying, you know, you're important to me. I'd like to spend more time with you. And now I'll invite Kirsten to close us up. what you said Tanya and if I didn't then forgive me and I'm just going to wing it for a minute here Um, but I just want to thank you all and especially thank you for having me in virtually and um, being part of this learning opportunity and practice opportunity and maybe taking another moment to dedicate our time the merit of our practice together and all of the sincerity and the clear seeing and the inquiry here may it be of benefit to all beings in ways seen and unseen that all beings everywhere may be free of suffering may know deep peace and ease and a true sense of belonging in the world. Thank you.
Thank you, Kirsten, so much. So sweet to have you here. Oh my gosh, so sweet. To <laughs> I have wish you I here. could see you. <laughs> I know. I'm so glad I can see you if I peek over. But yes, maybe we'll figure it out next week. Oh. I have I have some craving around being able to see and hear more clearly. Yes, you and Richard, <laughs> and me too. Yeah. Yeah. All right, you guys. So thank you 